Welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom. My name is Helen Mully, and the author in your classroom, or wherever you're listening, for this episode is comedian, TV presenter, and of course, author, Dara O'Brien. Welcome to the podcast, Dara. It's lovely to be here. Hello to everybody listening. We're delighted to have you. Now, listeners, as I said, Dara is a comedian. And so, as you might expect, his books are very funny indeed. However, if you haven't yet read them, and you really, really must, what you might not anticipate is that they are also incredibly fascinating, fact-filled explorations of science and the night sky, space, and more. In fact, his third and latest children's title, called Is There Anybody Out There?, covers how life began, how the earth was created, and whether or not we humans could really be the only life in the universe. Dara, those are, I think it's fair to say, some pretty serious subjects. Why did you decide to write about them using humour? Well, I, I know no other way of writing. That's, <laughs> That's fair uh, enough. <laughs> a thing which is, you have to kind of, um, you, as you do lots of essays and writing in school, you do kind of find your voice, as we would say. Uh, you find the thing that you enjoy, that that uh, that you like, the way you enjoy writing. Yeah. The, uh, and for me, even even when I was writing essays in, in, in primary school, I was putting in little jokes and um, silly things. And How did those go down with the teachers? They went okay. They went fine. <laughs> they were grand. <laughs> I wasn't like the class clown or anything, but it, was, uh, but it added a bit of colour to, to what I was writing about. The uh, It is a... A thing that when I do a lot of making up of things when I, when I'm writing comedy shows and the comedy shows are obviously more for grown ups and all that, but it's not that different in some ways that you're basically being curious and seeing what triggers a little joke, a silly joke in your head. Um, and I've always had a passion for space uh, and for planets and for looking at stars and all this kind of stuff. And I think it's an inherently like it's a basic, it's an interesting thing. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's big, it swooshes, it's, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's science fiction and Star Wars and all these things or whatever, but also there's a lot of silliness that you can, you can fit around it. And so you write the thing that you have a passion for and that you just put it, you, you kind of look at it from a slightly sideways way. So, uh, and they also, I like explaining things. I like, I like people to understand the things that I'm passionate about and it's in, it, it makes it easier if you soften it with some silliness. Yeah, so so essentially humour is a, is a good tool to use when, when teaching and learning generally. It, 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 look, it can be. I mean, if, if it's in service, if, if, it's, if it flatters it, if it, if it compliments it, if it doesn't get in the way, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> yes. to, to just be silly. To all you the know. teachers listening, just, just you know, work on your routine first. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I would say that there, there, there's a time and a place for it, I suppose, is, is a way of putting it. And, and actually... I have to remember not to be too factual when I'm doing, when I go back to just doing the comedy, I have to just remember, oh no, the rules are off now. I don't have to <laughs> keep referring back to something serious now. I can just be silly. Um, but it is a kind of a way of light, of lightening these, these, these things up. And, uh, and because people think these big, big ideas have to be treated seriously and they don't. There's a lot of, there's a lot of inherent ridiculousness about the fact that we basically put on an outfit that keeps, we puts a tiny version of our atmosphere uh, and we surround ourselves in that and we go off into a place we don't exist. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be in space it's a really unfriendly <laughs> horrible place to be and then we carry a little pocket of earth around with us as we do that uh, and you know there's there's things like that are just are, are inherently silly the, the, living in a, on a space station um 100 miles above earth 
even the fact that space only begins 60 miles up in the sky, people think it's a long way away. Yes, that, that blew my mind. <laughs> it's really close, yeah. I mean, that's the boundary for it. So I actually, could get to London more quickly. Oh, you could, absolutely. And like, there's large parts of people who read these books who are closer to the space station than they are to the sea. Wow. Uh, and it's, so it's, it's, it's very nearby, you know. And actually, if, if the worst comes to the worst and they have to get off the space station quickly, like in an emergency, they can be down in eight minutes. <laughs> I guess we can be really fast. I'm not sure why they make such a fuss about it, really. Honestly, really, they go on about it a lot. Like, like it's a big deal. <laughs> Don't know why we aren't all there all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the other thing is, uh, oh, which I love about space, my other favourite fact about the space station, which actually isn't in this book, but is in the previous one, is um, because they're falling all the time, so they're in, in, in what is like zero gravity. At the, yeah. uh, so Because they're constantly falling around the Earth. Um, so there's no gravitational pull. There's no up or down because of this. And there's no natural way to... You know, if you just if you stop moving and there's nothing pushing you, you'll just stay there. You'll stay right. So, but there is a room in the space station, which is the largest room from which the other rooms, I think, they spiral off. Uh, um, that you can place an astronaut in the middle of the room, like literally floating in the middle of the room, and if you and then you back away, and they can't do anything about it. They just <laughs> they're floating there because they can't push off anything. There's only air around them. They can't swim anywhere. So they're stuck there until you go and, and you know, poke them with a stick and they float off in the other direction. So it's, it's difficult to do, but, but it is, as they say, it's a, it's a trick we like to perform every so often. <laughs> do they sneak up on each other while they're asleep? The first time someone arrives, they go, no, come here, we've got a thing to show you, and they just leave them there for a while. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I mean, obviously, it, it's important when, when you're writing about science that that and and space that, that you know your stuff and and obviously you do and when when you're at university you studied mathematics and theoretical physics but um i'm i'm fairly sure that you didn't stop learning after leaving university um i mean how important is it do you think for everyone to stay curious oh look it's everything you know because it's a big world and lots of things are out there and like that doesn't mean you have to be you're or you're going to be curious about everything you know a lot of the joy of life is finding the thing that you have a passion for finding the thing that is is most exciting to you and um a lot of the journey to education will be you specializing down to this to the it's amazing how narrow this gets as people move on to university and stuff how they narrow down to a very specific thing and going well this is all my passion it turned out wasn't for you know medicine in general it was just for the left toe i was all really <laughs> turns out i've always really wanted to know everything about the left toe and there's somebody who does that the uh, and it's it's part of the just great mixture of humanity that we all find tiny parts of the world that, that become our, our our universe and um, so i carried on admittedly what i did was i in my journey I went to university to study these mathematics and it was very dry and very serious and very very technical and stuff and I kind of missed the big results the big picture kind of fun stuff of it all because it was a training at that point it becomes like a training um, and then I had to get out of university for a while and go off and tell jokes and then I rediscovered my passion for it and now I'm you know I'm in the garden all the time with a telescope you know and uh trying to take pictures of things that you can't see with the naked eye, which is my current uh, obsession. But it's all about, you know, finding the thing, being curious, because the point of being curious is that you will discover the thing that make that offer that immediately in your head goes, well, what's the next question after that? Yes. But like, I mean, that doesn't mean that, look, we're under no illusions. You're not going to find everything really interesting. The second book I wrote is called Secret Science. And Secret Science had a balance of different sciences in it. And I put a note at the start going, you're not going to like all of this. You might like the bit that's about engines, or you might like the bit that's about, you know, the way your brain works. It doesn't mean you're going to like all of them, 
But and then at the end is a bit where I go, look, you might be the person who becomes a neuroscientist, or you might be the person who becomes the next engineer. You know, you just find the thing that that most you know excites you. Um, and we're lucky. There's a lot of very, very exciting stuff out there. Like I personally love space, you know. But like, uh, <laughs> but uh, so I'm very happy to, to enthuse about that, like whatever. But you'll find the thing that is your version of space. Absolutely, even if that is the the little toe. You know, look, look, the left toe. Very interesting thing. The left <laughs> big toe. Honestly, I'm very different to the left small toe. Uh, they're very, very different animals altogether. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, I, I think it would be great if our listeners who aren't already familiar with your writing could, could have a little taste of what it's like. So let's pause for a moment while you um, grab a copy of Is There Anybody Out There and then find the right page. And then we'll come back to hear you read an extract for us, if that's okay. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with my guest for this episode, the very clever, talented and funny Dara O'Brien. Dara, you're going to read a little bit of your latest book, Is There Anybody Out There, for us now. Um, perhaps you could just explain where it fits into the into the picture as a whole before you start, just to give us a little idea of where we are. Absolutely. The, the book, Is There Anybody Out There, is about life in space and other alien lives, because we've no definite answer for that, um, or Spoiler. you would have heard by now. Yeah, well, you know, the, <laughs> it's not a secret that we have yet to meet E.T., but the, uh, the, it brings in topics of what information do we send out? What information can we hear if we listen to space? What are we, what are we listening to? What planets are we currently finding? Um, they're called exoplanets, and there's a huge explosion in, in new planets that we're finding. Planets with two stars, planets with three stars. We even found a planet with four stars. The, uh, and so it's and and as part of that then we ask the question like well look how did life begin here how did life begin we take this as an example firstly how did this it was a cloud of gas and dust how did that become a sun and eight planets and all the other rocks and bits and pluto and minor planets and all that it has and then further from that how did life appear so the question really is what is life within that so this is the start of a chapter called what is life what is life this seems like an easy question to answer. Animals, right? Big furry ones, wet slippery ones, ones that fly. That covers it. Oh, and insects as well. We almost forgot insects. So life is anything that runs around or flies or swims and eats things and gets eaten by other things. <coughs> Said the houseplant sitting on your desk. What about us? So yes, of course, we have to include plants and trees and grasses and ferns and all that stuff. They don't move anywhere or eat anything other than the Venus flytrap. And we definitely have to have a proper talk about them at some stage. They must be aliens. But they grow and they create new life. But these are all pretty big, though. What about the little things? The bugs, the germs, the bacteria, and even the organisms we've recently discovered in the most inhospitable places, the extremophiles, we call them, that can live by the volcanic jets deep down under the sea or, or frozen in the Arctic snow. The problem is that, though it's easy to say that's alive when you're petting your dog or picking an apple off a tree, in a more general way, it's very difficult to narrow down a good definition of life. Traditionally, we'd say something like, <clears throat> life is the ability to reproduce, in other words, have little animals, and spread. But then by that definition, fire is alive. So let's make it more complicated and say, <clears throat> life is the ability to take energy or matter from the environment around you and use it to help reproduce. This sounds pretty good, 
But if you ever made a crystal from one of those kits where you dip a string in a glass for a couple of weeks, it definitely uses matter from its environment to make more crystals. And you would never say a crystal was alive. But whatever definition we settle on for life, it'll have to include everything from animals we can interact with, dogs, people, a moose, all the way down to things that we can only see under a microscope, bacteria, viruses, and the like. The chances are, though, and this is sort of disappointing, that in our search for life on other planets, we're far more likely to discover things from the tiny end of that list rather from the large furry end, because the small stuff has just been around for so much longer. If you look at the history of life on Earth, the big, complex, furry, talking creatures arrived pretty late in the process. And it was a very long process. It was more like a Sunday roast than a microwave dinner. If the Sunday roast took 4 billion years, including having to wait 3.99 billion years for the chickens to evolve. Even if we found an exact replica of Earth somewhere out there tomorrow, orbiting around an exact double of our sun at exactly the same distance, that planet could be at any stage of this life cooking process. But the chances of you arriving, just as the people of Earth 2 were evolved enough to recognize what you were and have a chat with you about your day, are pretty slim. <laughs> okay, now I just want you to explain everything. Okay. To me. Um, do, do, do you do mortgages? I do. I do. Absolutely. I can do. I'm going to do a funny version of grown up boring stuff like that. Pensions. You want me talking about pensions in a funny way? I, I'm definitely in for that. I, I love the way it, it, it this is going to sound so obvious, but it, it flows so naturally, ju- just as though you were talking. And, and the obvious thing to think about then is, is your stand up and how you write your stand up. And is it a really similar process? There is. I mean, I, I have been doing a stand, I've been doing stand up for about 25 years and I've written about, I think about 20 shows or thereabouts for between big tours and Edinburgh shows and all these things that you do, different shows that you do. And it's a very conversational thing. You, and you write as you talk, you never actually write the things down word for word. And it's weirder for me to a certain extent to be writing a book because you literally have to put the words down. You have to put the ands and the thes and the ofs and actually physically write them while at the same time wanting it to stay conversational. Because there are a lot of factual books um, and people in classes will know this, that, you know, you lift a flap and there's another fact about this or there's a big picture of stuff with arrows pointing to things. Yeah. And they're great. They're really, really good. They're full of tons of information. But a one that just reads that you could just sit down and just it will it will carry you. That's what you want. You want, and therefore it's and like I'm so I'm basically a tour guide. You're strapping yourself in, and and then for as long as they have you at the end of the day, if you go to bed or whatever, or, or if you know a, a mum and dad are reading it to you, it should just flow along, and they should be there, and I'm pointing to you, I'm pointing to this, and I'm popping it in your head, but it should flow, and so it's written to be it's written to be read as a as going in from starting at A, go to B, rather than the many facts, factual books for kids, which are very much more a case of like, well, let's pour over this giant diagram and and pick itself, which, are, which is great too, but a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from your reading just now, it's, it's clear that it does do exactly that. I'm interested to know, um, it, it is funny, I was sniggering to, to myself and possibly not to myself all the way through that, but also you are trying to explain something quite clearly and, and get these big ideas across. How do you stop the jokes getting in the way of the explanation? Yeah, it's an interesting one. The uh, it, There is something about 
there's a point where the where you need, and this happens in, when you're writing a comedy routine as well. Yeah, you need to get the information across because people, the people person needs to have the information you put, and you can't distract from that by putting a custard pie in your face at the wrong moment. They, uh, so you you need to. There's a point where you need to right. We need to establish this stuff. Really, it's a case of once I've established this, then I can be silly about it. But sometimes it's it's a good explanation. There there is a um. There is, for example, a long section in the book. We we discover exoplanets because uh, they're, they're planets just like ours, but they're a long way away. And what we do is we look at a star and what we see is occasionally the light from the star dips just a tiny amount, just like it goes from 100% of the light to going to 99.93 of the light, like a tiny, just a tiny amount. And the reason it has is because a planet has gone between us and the star. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so that happened. And, and then we check, does it happen again? And does it happen again? So therefore, does it happen regularly that this dips? And that means the planet's going around. I have an expectation that's been involved. You take a bee, you train the bee, you get a lamp. Don't look at the lamp. Don't look directly at the <laughs> lamp. But anyway, turn on the lamp, get the bee to fly around, and make the bee fly around and watch the way the light dips in the lamp as the bee flies around. And then we carry on with the thing. And then I, uh, there's a point where I remember, oh, my God, the bee. Have we still got the bee flying around? <laughs> Tell the bee to stop flying around. Give the bee some honey. Thank the bee. Let the bee go. The, uh, so it, it, it's, look, it's a, good, it's a good parallel. It's a good metaphor for it, like whatever. But it is hopefully also silly. <laughs> and, and those things stick in the mind, don't they? I, I, I will remember the bee flying around the lamp. I do raise the issue of how do we get the bee to do this? How do we convince the bee that he needs to do this and, and illustrate this point? Because honestly, I could have just said, just move your finger around the lamp. It could have worked fine. But the bee, the bee, I think, creates a thing uh, in the book. The, uh, uh, and so there's a few of those. I mean, there's a few times there are big ideas yeah. uh, that you want to get across that are amazing um, and a fundamental. The, the, the way that we can tell what gases are in the atmosphere of a planet is because of a thing that happens to electrons. Tiny, the tiniest thing tells us the biggest thing. And there's a there's a whole sequence in the book where I go, right, this is a big idea. This is amazing. That because electrons jump, and I explain why, we can tell what gas is in a planet like millions of year, of, of, of miles away. And uh, how we go from the small to the very, very big. And maybe I think in that bit, I actually kind of just, I'm, just, I'm patiently going to go through this. I'm not going to do a silly thing. I'm just going to go and then maybe you get, and hopefully you get this amazing idea. Yes. Yeah. So the time to do it and times to not do it. But often I have an internal clock, which all comedians have, which is they go, hasn't been a laugh in a while. Better get a laugh now. Better get a laugh. <laughs> so you, you pop in, you make sure there's, you know, every so often there's something silly that people will smile at. Absolutely. Um, Dara, there's, there's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. This podcast is all about books and reading and writing and, and the excitement and adventure that those things bring into our lives. Now, a lot of our listeners will be very used to hearing from adults that, that some of the other things they enjoy, like, say, video games, aren't nearly as important, that, that they should be reading instead of, of playing with a screen. Now, you know, if, if I may say, you're, you're a smart man, you're a successful man, you've written books as well as reading them. But I believe you do also like a bit of gaming. I do. I love, I love gaming. I mean, you're, you're, you won't find me. And, I've, and I, I don't undo the work of anyone on this, uh, on this one, but I am pro gaming. We have, lot, we have machines in the house. And the reason I am, uh, to give the, because of the imagination of the world constructed in gaming. Yes. Because uh, it allows people to inhabit. Here's my counter example where people go, oh my God, gaming is 
the common thing is like it's it's not good for yeah. your brain and it's it's stunting your imagination to which a ch- any eight-year-old would go really because i just played a, a game in which i fought a dinosaur that i had designed against a dragon <laughs> designed by somebody in japan and we had a battle in, in spummer in space and you're going oh fair fair point fair point, Good point. yes the uh, i i think it allows i think obviously you, you can't be doing loads and loads and loads of it because it's very easy. And we have a thing about it in, in one of the earlier books. It's a, it's designed to be addictive. It's yes. designed to give you tiny rewards. Um, that's, that's why it's so nice because it goes ding, 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 and gold coins appear. And every time a gold coin appear, there's a little chemical in your brain called dopamine that goes, oh, wow. Oh, good. Oh, great. Wow. Ding, ding, ding. And it just keeps it flowing along and, and you're in a happy little state where you're getting rewarded all the time. So that's a trick they use. So sometimes it can be a wrench to step away from it. But the flip side of which is the positive thing is it is if you want to design, if you want to design worlds, if you want to create things, you want to create pictures, you want to create, st- tell stories. It is an amazing thing, a universe, universes, excuse me, that they create and uh, that are totally malleable, totally like creatable uh, for people to go, well, actually, I want to, I want to create an 18th century, you know, London. And I also want, and, but I want to put it on the moon and I want, and I, and I can do that and I can make you walk around it. Um, so I think it is a tremendous place to put the imagination uh, and, uh, I hugely favor people doing coding and people thinking of designing as well as just enjoying these worlds, these virtual worlds that have been created. Um, and so I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. I just, you know, just obviously, you know, be aware that when you stop, it is, yeah, there's times when you stop and it will feel like a wrench because they're very clever. Uh, how these things are put together and they, it, it does feel like a reward all the time you do it. But I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an, it's an amazing place to tell stories. Uh, and to explore worlds and to create them. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's all about balance, isn't it? Yeah. Dora, thank you so much. As usual, I just want to remind all the teachers and parents listening that there will be a special resources pack available to go with this episode of Author in Your Classroom, created to help children have fun with facts in their own writing. It's available from plazoom.com and the details are in the episode notes. Dara, we're getting to the end of our time now. So if you don't mind, I'm going to press pause just for a moment and then we can come back for a few final words of inspiration for our listeners. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with my fantastic guest for this episode, Dara O'Brien. Dara, so um, is there anybody out there has just been published? Do you have any more books for children planned? Anything in the pipeline? We not at the moment. We're kind of we'll 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 take a pause now because I have to then go and write a funny show for grown-ups. Um oh, grown-ups, pesky grown-ups. I know they do get in the way, don't they? The uh, <laughs> and then we'll see what what part of the world of science we look at next. We've got three of them, which is a nice like line on the shelf of stuff yeah. and so we'll see that's definitely a series yeah so with the and they all have they all have my silly face in the front which is um <laughs> i'm not sure if that's a huge marketing uh tool but the uh, <laughs> but they but they do do that but the uh, um so no nothing specific at the moment i would say though that if you have any interest in uh space at all and this is nothing to do with the book or anything like that it is the easiest of hobbies to take up because it's free it's just above your head um <laughs> and it's uh the the best advice I can give to people who want to who want to look up 
and and see things is get a parent uh, or, or, or guardian or whatever to uh, download any one of the million free apps that there are on phones that allow you to simply hold up a phone against the sky and will tell you what you're looking at. Because if you go for the bright things, more often than not, there'll be planets and you'll find yourself looking at Saturn or you'll find yourself looking at Jupiter or Venus. And it is like, oh, I just presume they're all stars. They're all just dots and they're not. The, uh, so any one of those apps, and there's loads of them, um, they, and you just press, there'll always be a button called compass or something, and you can lift up the phone and the picture will change as you as you move the phone around and you'll be able to see the names of everything around. It'll tell you what the constellations are. It'll tell you where the moon is up. It'll tell you what planets you're looking at. And it's, I, I, I think it's genuinely pretty amazing. Somebody just, somebody just go, see that dot there? That's Mars. That's a nice thing to be able to do. That does sound amazing. Yeah, you can just walk out of your door and, and, and look up. That's that's extraordinary. Um, and finally, if I were to ask you for um, another piece of advice, a piece of advice for any child listening who's maybe dreaming of, of being a published author one day, what would it be? Oh, my Lord. Sorry, it's a tricky one, I know. Isn't it? Yeah. Find the thing you enjoy writing. That's probably the most important thing. Find the either the story or the type of thing that you enjoy telling. And that could be a story, it could be a joke, it could be a explaining a fact. Um and play with that. And and think of it as playing with it uh, is is probably the most important thing. Because I know it's difficult when you're in the middle school, it becomes homework and it becomes like a thing you have to do. Find the one that you love. The uh, we're back to the big toe again. <laughs> find your big toe find find the, the big toe your big toe <laughs> in this situation find the thing that 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 is a passion for you and it might be that the stories you want to tell are ones you'll do through a video game or the stories you'll tell be ones you want to do through a piece of art or standing on stage telling jokes the, uh, there's a million different ways to tell stories just find the one that 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 makes you smile that is such good advice dara thank you so much and uh, we really are out of, out of time now. So I will just say thank you again for taking part in this podcast. It's been great fun. And I'm sure our listeners can't wait to get started with their own stories and, and fun-filled explanations. Take care, Dara. And listeners, do make sure that you come and join us for the next episode of Author in Your Classroom. I'll see you then. Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom, where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATS revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible. So please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen. 
with author in your classroom and Plazoom.